So much confusion. Half price carbonara so with car insurance? Do I want another meal or just a good deal? Confuse.com give you 20 pounds free Texaco fuel with your car insurance. A free gift that makes sense? It's that easy. 20 pounds free Texaco fuel with your car insurance. Don't be confused. Be confused.com. Full T's and C's online. Scottish postcode exceptions and conditions apply. Offer ends 14th of November. gentlemen and welcome to episode six of george ezra and friends the podcast i am your host for this evening's entertainment my name is george ezra and i'm a musician and i'm a singer and i'm a songwriter and um well thanks to all you lovely people i'm a very busy boy right now i've got my um second record comes out on friday which is uh very exciting if not a little scary but i'll get into that later on in the show um this week's guest is the lovely uh, Giles Martin. Um, Giles very kindly invited me round to his studio at Abbey Road. Um, It's worth pointing out that this is the first episode that I ever recorded for the show. So all of the swanky gear that I got to record it, I was getting to grips with and I don't know if I used it to its full advantage. So I don't know, it's worth saying the quality might be a little below par, but that is definitely my fault and not that of my guests, and also it's not enough to put you off listening, it's fine. Warren Borg, the editor extraordinaire, has done an amazing job sorting it out. Um, For those of you that aren't familiar with the name Giles Martin, Giles is an amazing producer, um, an all-round lovely guy, it has to be said, and uh, he has very close ties to that little band, The Beatles, as his father, George Martin, was often cited as the fifth member of the Beatles as their producer, which means that Giles has had an extremely interesting and exciting life. Um, We sat down and spoke about all his experiences from being in bands as a kid to being a producer himself and of course growing up in you know the world of rock and roll and um, I should point out that there is one or two fruity stories in this episode um, that you probably wouldn't want children to hear especially near the end of the episode Um, and I imagine there might be one or two rude words so as always if you're in the car or if you've got this on while you're cleaning the house or something just just be aware Um, yeah And as always, thank you very much for meeting me here. Um, Let's jump into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Giles Martin. We met, what, two months ago? A month ago? Yeah. I'm rubbish with time. Um, To audition for the John Lewis song. Yeah, we met. Is that auditions like where? No, I think it was a month ago we met. Okay. To to do, (laughs) do the song for John Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'd obviously, I'd obviously heard of you, and 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 you know, and just thought you had an amazing voice to, and a really cool sound. And the thing about what's great about music, it's timeless, you mm. know. And it sounds pretentious to say, but you have a timeless voice. You, you could have been, you you could be a singer in any era for the last forty mm. years, and that's meant as a compliment. Yeah, thank to, you, man. I appreciate that. And and um, it was it's the irony if you're doing what I do in your in studios, is that. In essence, when you start out, you work with really bad people. It's very difficult to make good records with bad people. Well, this is what I was going to ask you on the production side, because I know you have worked in studios for a long old time A long time, yeah. Do you... How much of your job under that umbrella do you think is the ability to kind of cater to the artist in the room? How much of it is depending on you being able to go, okay, the artist we've got in today... I need to be standoffish and let them do their thing. Like, how much do you? How much is it psychology? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's I think you know the the world of produce, productions changed when my dad started, and um, which was 1950, he started in studios. A producer was a record. They were called recording managers, but they were in charge of all the all the recording that person did. Now, whether that was artistic or business, that was it. Yeah. Um, and now, producers become more like an engineer, where producer or songwriters they yeah. become much more hands on. I think it's a balance between two. I think here's the thing: is that if we're working together, and 
and I felt like you sang that you would sing the song much better the next day in your bathroom. Mm. I really failed you as a producer. That's the first thing. So no matter what what it takes we have to get the best performance you can give on that song. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be nice to you or nasty to you, just whatever, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's whatever yeah. it is, whoever the person is. Now, some people act really well under pressure. Some people sing much better when they think they're singing badly. You know, some people, some people do one performance and that's, that's it. And, and I think it's for Ethan Johns, who's a very good producer. His father was a guy called Glyn Johns, mm. who was a very good producer. We recorded The Who and Led Zeppelin mm. and, and The Beatles and stuff like that. He said, once the hairs stand up on the back of your arm, just walk away. A huge part of art in general, uh, any, whether that's like doodling in a book, writing a song, that part of the skill is knowing when to go, okay, on to the next thing, on to the next project. Yeah. Instead of st like the amount of times that you go back and back and back and back, and actually the first thing you did was where well, you should have left well, it. Well, we live in a world now where, especially in music, which is changing a little bit, with a new generation, but it's it's a world where everything needed to be perfect. You know, mm -hmm. we have we have, and it was interesting. You know, I did this project called Love, which is a Beatles album, where I chopped and morphed all the sounds to create this show and this album, and that was my big break. But I did it with my, my father looking over me, who's from a different generation, and he would go, "Oh my God, it's like you know you're morphing, you're playing around with audio like it's putty." Is what he would say, <laughs> and 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 I can see his point where in his day you just have a tape. Is machine. that a good impression of him? That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's in the room. So we have all the tools available at our fingertips. On a laptop, you can make it, you know, mm. you can... But doesn't mean you're going to make a good record. Yeah. You still need performance. And you have to make sure... It's funny, I was said to a guy the other day, you know, he was looking at a Pro Tools session. Now, for anyone listening, basically that's a, that's a... You know, we're recording to computers, and so you see the audio. And I said, don't, don't look at the audio file. Listen mm. to it. You know, mm. that's all people are going to judge. And so you get... you. It's easy to go, it needs to be perfect, where... I think that as humans we don't fall in love with perfection, we fall no. in love with... People, people think singing is about tuning, but it's not. It's about how you convey no, the emotion. words across, it's yeah, about emotion, yeah. exactly right. I think it's a funny thing with lyrics as well, is that if lyrics can make very little sense written down, but if they sing them in a certain way, you completely understand what it is they're saying. You yeah. know, if, if they believe it, it, it becomes a lot easier for the listener to get on board and go, oh, I see what you're saying there. You talk about the Cirque du Soleil love project yeah as a break well it was a breakthrough because in, in essence it, it was it was it was funny for me because my father was you know one of the most successful producers of all time everyone thought I'd be really really good and I wasn't and I wasn't because I hadn't you know I had to, had to learn so I suddenly got thrust into this world that I didn't want to know and then and then I ended up because of that I I ended up um, working for him and then ended up stuck in this world of doing crossover classical records which mm which I did a record that was, I think, the fastest-selling classical record of all time. And I wasn't proud of it. Mm. And, the, and the, the, I had an idea of chopping up Beatles tapes to create a show. So did uh, you approach them? They, we, we originally approached them with an idea of doing a live show. They then went to Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil got two French DJs involved, um, which, and it, it sounded awful. And mm. then I said to the Beatles, I think I can create a montage without using any music outside of I the I thought Beatles. you were about to say, I can create a monster. I can create a, it'll be a monster. Well, I can be a monster. And that, funny enough, because it was interesting, it was artistic, it was, also, it was, it was a bunch of things. It was, it was, it was mashing up music mm. for a reason of trying to... It's basically like a... It's basically creating a, a sound collage. And, uh, and it suited my brain. I could remember keys and that sort of stuff. And, and that was a breakthrough because suddenly it was critically and artistically successful. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd had... Artist, I had critical success before, and I don't even had much artistic success, but critical success before. I, I'd made records that are sold, yeah. but no one really liked them. And the, but the Love Project was the first thing that had ticked both those boxes. Which is amazing. You can't which, ask for anything. Which more. is what you, what you want, yeah. But there must have been a kind of audition period, because you go to the Beatles and say, look, I think I can do this thing. They, do they then say, look, spend however long giving us an example in that process, they, they, Neil Aspinall, who ran Applecore, now Applecore mm -hmm. is the Beatles company, they, he said to me, you've got three months, I'm not paying you. And I came here to Abbey Road. Man, that's perfect. And I, and I sat in a room with some headphones on, actually, yeah. and started doing it. So you listen to the album, it starts off with Because But it's a cappella. So yeah, Because is a cappella, but it's also out of time as well. 
you know, not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was funny, it's, it's a bit like playing God in a way. Yeah. You're there going, you know, it's, it starts off, you know, because the world is round. And then, basically, when do I want the next bit to start? Yeah. And, and it's feeling the right gaps. And it's all about that, because then you feel, it, it doesn't make you, it's not uncomfortable, it just makes you listen. There's also bird song on Because. So, yeah, I, that was, a lot of that was from Beatles tapes. Okay. So there's, there's the, you hear the flapping of wings mm -hmm. from, um, from Across the Universe. They, across the Universe was for the uh, World Wild... Was, it was a, it, they, a, lot of these, a lot of these Beatles songs were for things. Mm. So that was for the World Wildlife Fund, that, that recording. And they used bird, there was birds fluttering yeah, and there's, yeah. a, there's a, I think it was a swan or a goose taking off from a <laughs> lake. I mean, uh, but then what happened was I started thinking, I want to create this atmosphere of... An English country garden, yeah. and then I thought that sounds like that's a wood pigeon. What <laughs> makes that sound? So I then got the sound of a wood pigeon, and then I started adding, and then I used the blackbird sounds from Blackbird, which yeah. is BBC recordings, and I started adding other things. There's bees flying around and stuff like that. <laughs> but the, but what happened was is, is my rule was to use no other stuff from Beatles recording, and Paul McCartney came into this room, and I said to him, "Listen, you know I said I would use nothing, but I added sound effects to because because," and he goes, "Well." Here's how it is, Giles, is that you said you'd use uh, no beat other stuff from Beatles. I'm a Beatles. I've heard I'm a Beatle. I've heard it. It's now Beatles, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> <Brilliant. Yeah. laughs> um, th th so this is it. So you get the keys to the door that opens the room that has all the Beatles tapes. Yeah. You start fishing through them to put love together. Yeah. Was there Anything you found on the tapes that you hadn't heard before, you go, what? How does that yeah, exist on an album? Most like of it, most of it, at that stage, most of it I hadn't heard before yeah. because, I mean, I was not hitting this. Uh, but, but I wasn't the biggest Beatles expert. Yeah, yeah. I, bizarrely, I probably am now, but by default. Yeah. But what happened was is that I, re I thought I was going to get fired because the idea of George Martin's son chopping up the Beatles tapes for a show in Vegas <laughs> is actually disgusting if you think about it. It's like, it's like let the kid, what's he done? He's done some really bad classical <laughs> records. Let's, let's give him the keys to the door. I mean, I knew myself it was a terrible idea. I was aware. So I thought if I could leave one legacy, because I'm bound to get fired from this. I'm absolutely, there's no question about it. I'm bound to get fired. If I can leave one thing, I'll, at least I'll back up the tapes because the tapes hadn't been backed up properly. What, the Beatles? The Beatles tapes hadn't been backed up properly at that stage. So I I thought, that, when was that, 2006? 2006. Well, we know, a show opened in 2004, so the wow. show. So, so I thought, you know what, at least I'll back the tapes up. That's crazy that they hadn't been at that point. So, well, people were scared to touch them. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, so well, we took everything, went through this process. And what was really nice is that I sat with my dad and I listened to all the individual, and I made notes on them. I had this yeah. huge like notes of what's on each track, what keys, tempos. And so I'd hear all the artifacts. So I know what's on, I mean, we're about to do a mixed project, so I know what's on the multi tracks now. Amazing. On what the splits are, because you remember these things. Yeah. Or, and so that was, that was what we went through. We, I, and, and it was kind of like going through, I learned so much about production. and Doing love. Doing love, yeah. yeah. It was like a masterclass, because they're, they're not shoddy records. Now, yeah. with the man who produced them, going through his, like anyone who was interested in music would like to have that job. It doesn't matter that I'm his son. And it was great for the both of us. It was incredibly, it was like my relationship with my father, a bit like Benjamin Button. You know, it became much more intense as, as we got older. Amazing. Where most people go apart yeah, from their yeah. parents. So, and as he went more, as he became more and more deaf, we became closer. It was a strange thing. So with love, that's what happened. And then, and then I just thought, well, I'm going to get fired. Quite a nice mindset to go into a project going, this is fucked before I've even started. I'll tell you what's great about that mindset is that you take risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you just think, you know what? No one's going to hear this anyway. Well, this is the amazing thing about music, and I think we all have to remind ourselves to do it more often. It's just experiment because no one has to hear it. If yeah. it's shit at the end of the day, no well, one has to well, hear that's it. What the, well, that's what I want to take into production work. There's another way of looking at it. It's like, I'd like to work with an artist who had... Who, who and open the creative door to them and make them feel like they can jump out of the plane and the parachute will always open. Yeah. What a beautiful but like, ability that, to have to give that to somebody. Yeah, because it's like, you know, no one will know. And the problem is people discuss things for too long in meetings mm. and don't do it. And the, the, the one thing I learned from all the Beatles stuff is the immediacy of it. There's something about walking into a room. And actually I learned from, you know, I, I produced Paul McCartney and you know, he's... He's no slouch when it comes to playing, really. Mm. And I said to him, do you want to be in the control room like artists do nowadays? And he goes, no, you're 
I'm the artist, you're the producer. I stand on that side of the glass, you stand on this side of the glass, and you, you tell me whether, I, whether I'm playing right or not. Them's the rules. You know, in the last three years, I started getting involved in companies as opposed to just being a freelancer. Mm. And, you know, some, you know, I'm, I'm in this corporation, which I do part-time. That world of proper jobs is so much less cutthroat than the world we're in. Mm. That's the biggest surprise to me. It's like, it's all namby-pamby. It's like, you know, let's talk about your, your process or your creativity. Yeah. That's and it's where someone's really bad at their job. In our world, if you're bad at a job, it's like, what's he doing in the room? Let's get rid of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And off he goes. It could be, a, could be anyone. It could be an engineer, drummer, producer, yeah. whatever. As an artist, you, you, you need to be competitive. And all of the, you know, if, 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 you know, I would say to you, you need to be more, you need to be cutthroat and competitive. And it's not, everything's artists, these hippie guys, but all the people I work with, it's, you know, Paul McCartney or Pete Townsend or, or, you know, younger artists, they have this one thing in common. It's like, they want to take over the world. <laughs> and people don't realize that. Some like the Beatles, their primary concern, and my father's included, was to sell records. Yeah. That was their pri. it wasn't to make, great music yes they made great music but they thought that would help them sell records yeah, yeah. you know I, it surprised me when i got to know them and and got to work on their on their material it's the thing that surprised me most is how competitive they are with current artists as yeah, well yeah it's not a question of it's not a question of you know oh my god you it's a question of i want to beat you wow it's and it, that's the way it is it's, yeah, it's, it's not it's not much. touch of it but you need to be like that to survive you know? yeah. and it's not a bad thing i know it's not a bad thing if you're not me if you're if you, you, if you can't sabotage some burn someone's drives but you know but there it's it's quite a good because it does stem creativity and in in their case and lots of other bands cases you know you know something like you know sergeant pepper hmm. wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for pet sounds by the beach boys they had pet you, sounds, yeah. they relaxed. and then Dark Side of the Moon wouldn't have happened without Sgt. Pepper. And it's all, it's a chain and, and everything's it's like, And it's not a question of, I'm inspired by this album. It's like, let's make a better album than this. <laughs> let's do that, but better. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. As an artist, you need to, you need to be doing that because actually that, that will make you write better songs. Mm. I remember when I first started to meet record labels and that was, you know, something I could entertain in my life. That someone was like, do you do covers then? And I was like, no, I, I've never really done covers. Yeah. And they were like, you should, because you need to learn how other people have written. How are you going to write songs if you haven't learned other people's? And that was a, you know, God. I don't know if I took that advice on, though. Yeah, it's, I, think, I think there's a balance there. I think it's a good thing, but you need to make sure you don't start writing other people's songs. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be... Um, um, I can't imagine Bob Dylan... Mind you, I bet, mind you, I bet he knows Woody Guthrie's catalogue oh, off mate. by heart. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's also that thing of... Uh, <sighs> Keeping an ear. I remember I had one lecturer uh, that, I, that I did a year at university, yeah. right? and um, he said, who, "Who in here listens to the charts? Who here listens to Radio One?" And there was like a scattering of hands. He was like, "You all should be. Yeah. What are you doing here? You're learning about pop music yeah. from the fifties onwards. What, why are you not listening to today's pop music?" I mean, here's the thing. You know, Paul McCartney's 70, 75 now. I think Elton John's seventy. And having no no both of them, both of them every week get all current music played to them. I know, and Elton still gets stuff sent to him, doesn't yeah. he? Which Elton's, is amazing. So does Paul every every week, every week he knows whatever's in the charts. Which and, is and just these, and so these it doesn't matter whether you think they're old and old or whatever, but the fact of the matter is they're two of the most successful songwriters ever, and they still have that drive. And don't think they're doing it this now. They've been doing that for the last fifty years, and that's interesting. It's not just interesting, it's, it's a kick up the arse. Yeah, it's like, a, come it's, on, mate, what are you doing? It's absolutely, on, and, and, that's the, and that's the thing you have to pay attention to because that's how you, that's yeah, how you, yeah. that's how you do it. That's how you have a long, successful career. If you but it's also right what enough. you grow up listening to. So you are a teenager in the 80s, a young adult in the I was, 90s. Yeah, I was a teenager in the 80s, young adult in the 90s. And what are the scenes and sounds that you remember from that period? Well, I was a guitar player. Okay. Uh, not a good one as you found out, but I was much better at one stage. So I wanted to be, for some reason, because obviously I was born in the ghetto, I got really into blues. <laughs> you know? um, and I was into, like, there's a band called Free, um, all of Free's catalogue is like Unhumble Pie and that sort of era of sort of 70s rock. I was a decade out, always right. a decade out. Right. So I didn't really get into the 80s at all. I kind of like Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. There was a guy called Lloyd, Lloyd Cole okay. and he had a band, an album called Rattlesnakes. Um, and I then sort of 
in the in the in the late eighties, I kind of liked bands like Talk Talk. Um, they have an album called The Color of Spring, which is a fantastic album. Um, but I never really, I didn't like the Pet Shop Boys, which, okay. you know, they, they, they were a divider for Was that me. something you've never really got since? It was just... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I would pretend to like them. But then yeah. it wasn't a case of Electronica, because I really, in the 90s, one of the, actually still one of the best gigs I've been, ever been to was in a small club, and I saw the Prodigy play. Yeah. And they were just unbelievable. Was it in London? It was in Australia. Oh, wow. It was bizarrely. I was playing guitar in a concert in the Sydney Opera House for my dad, and I was wearing black tie, and I was in the <laughs> ho same hotel as a prodigy. They said, come to our gig. And I arrived looking a bit like a sort of camp James Bond at a project in a full black tie. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, in a, in a, under a basement of a hotel? Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was like walking to hell. But where you you find yourself, you've gone to hell, but actually it's quite enjoyable. Yeah, it is. Those eye-opening moments where it's, you go like... Oh. It was just so visceral. There's no in, punches held in, back. In there. black tie. I found yeah, myself yeah. having a joint with Liam wearing black tie backstage. <laughs> they just thought I was mental. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like say, where you get to the stage where you're so posh that people just go, oh my God, he's, he's, it, this is mental. <laughs> why is this guy... Why does he, why does he look like, a, why does he look like a, either a nightclub It's perfect that you were in a black you know, yeah, suit black tie. as well. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, that, so there was yeah the range of music influences was was vast. And then being in a band, the funny my band I was in, in essence, the other members of the band wanted to be, be the Foo Fighters, and I never did, and that was an issue for me. Yeah. But I really, they were my mates; they're still my best friends. So, yeah. so I wanted to be so slightly more. I mean, I you know I really like there was a band called Flood by They Might Be Giants, for instance, which is this mad, mental record. Each song's there's about twenty six songs with a minute and a half each. And there were, you know, there were a bunch of influences I had. But really, it's funny, I became, as I've got older, I've become much looser in my approach to music mm. than I was when I was younger. Cause it's because I think when you're younger as well, you're kind of tied up with you, the way you need to look. And if I like that, does that mean I like this? Well, and for me, there was that. And there was also, I was under heavily influenced by my father, who by that age was an old man. We, we didn't have much music growing up as kids because he felt like he'd done it. Do you know, it was yeah, weird. Yeah. We'd never stereo at home. So he wasn't going, and no, look what I did. You know? No, not, no, absolutely no. not. Because it was, it was, also, it was really out of fashion. In the 80s, the Beatles were really out of really? fashion. Really? Oh, yeah. He couldn't get any work. That's amazing to hear. I didn't yeah. realise oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's, the funny thing, people don't realise, and this is a huge insult to Beatles fans around the world, which I always quite enjoy doing anyway, <laughs> is that Beatles were really helped by Oasis. You had this band who became one of the biggest bands on the planet, for a short period of time, but they were huge, and they cited the Beatles as the messiahs, and everyone started listening to Beatles music again. Now, Beatles music, it, it, this is in England, in America it wasn't, wasn't so much the case, but certainly in England and Europe, the Oasis helped the Beatles resurrect, not that they, it was a career because they were they're defunct, but... It's kind of fascinating. You don't think of it like that. So as a kid, yeah, the Beatles. My dad ended up working with all sorts of dodgy bands that, that because he was out of fashion. Here we are. It's the halftime break. The infamous halftime break. Is it infamous? Do people care about the halftime break? Who knows? But what a lovely chat. I absolutely loved this episode. I should point out that this really was the first one I recorded. So, yeah, I was somewhat nervous. Not because it was Giles or it was... It, it was more just I didn't know really what I was doing. I didn't let Giles know that. I shouldn't let you know that, really. Um, yeah. So, this is the week that my second record, Staying at Tamara's, is released. It comes out this Friday, which I can't quite get my head round. Um, yeah, in fact, last week I held the vinyl for the very first time, and it, it nearly made me cry. It was just, there's something you can't put into words. There's just so much that's gone into it. It's crazy to think that it is now real. It is now a thing. Um, so yeah, if, you'd, if you're interested in owning a copy, if you head over to georgeezra.com, there's every version you could ever imagine. There's pink vinyl, and there's CDs, there's signed vinyl, signed CDs, there's cassettes, and all of them come with a download code, so you still have it on your computer. Um, my favourite one, actually, the one that I have got my eye on, is the bundle. And I like the bundle, because you get each of them, and uh, it means I can send it to friends that are already sick of listening to the record. Um, I can send them a version knowing that they'll use it as a coaster 
at best. But hey, you might like the bundle too. Um, yeah, and we're off on tour. We've announced a load of UK and European dates. We're off to America. It's all amazing. And I should just say it's all made possible because of your ongoing support. So thank you very much. I should also say, while you're here, if this is the first episode of George Ezra and Friends that you've listened to, I I recommend you go back and listen to some others, if not all of them. They're all amazing and fascinating in their own way. Um, Yeah, and I'm absolutely loving recording them and putting them out. And why not, here's a thought, why not tell a friend? We all have commutes and we all have work and we all have time where it's nice to listen to something and maybe learn something. Why not recommend, hey, friend... Hey friend, why not listen to George Ezra and Friends, the podcast? I, for one, love it. You might say something like that. Uh, Who knows? I'm losing my mind. Okay, let's jump back into the second half of episode six with Giles Martin. My dad was always saying, don't do music, don't do music for a living. And I knew I was kind of better than my friends at school at music, you know, mm. playing instruments. I can, I can play instruments. Why do you think your dad said that, though? In, honestly, I think it's a double-tier thing. It's a, it's, I think he said it because he was trying to protect me, but I think he also said it because, in a strange way, he was fiercely competitive. He really was. Okay. Fiercely, when, I, when I won a Grammy, his first thing he said to me was, how old are you? And I went to 32 and he went, I'm trying to work out whether I was older than you or younger than you when I first won a Grammy. I'm thinking, well, you, did the, you produced the Beatles. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to win this. You know, wow. so, you know yeah. but oh, he, he was lovely. But, you know, there's that, that, and that's that nature, that's that side. Was there ever a period where you, although your dad was this, you know, arguably most one of, of the most famous names in modern music, yeah. was there ever a point where you saw it as a burden or a, I want to... Absolutely, most, most of my whole, my whole teenage years and my early 20s, 20s. Mm. I had a brutal time. No, I, I can't really complain because I think the advantages outweigh, I think, and this may sound arrogant, I think I'd be doing a very different career no, not doing career. I'd probably do exactly the same thing as I do now, but I'd probably be doing more bands, mm-hmm. and I'd probably had that path, and probably be, I'd probably be, I'd been a, been a hipper producer, if mm-hmm. if you like. Was there an element uh, if, of uh, kind of not fear of failure, but don't touch that in case it doesn't work out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was that was, was but for me. Learning to play the guitar was almost. I felt like I was take up heroin I was playing gigs in pubs without my parents knowing I played the guitar when most other kids would grow up if their kid could play the guitar and could write songs they'd be really proud mm. I was doing it completely behind my parents back I got single of the week in enemy with a band that I'd produced and arranged their music for which band was that the band called my life story okay. it's this track called girl a Girl B, Boy C. It's a good track. I played it on. I did a Gary Crowley show um, the other day, and he played it. And actually, it does sound good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's quite, it was, I was quite pleased. Like I hadn't heard it. I hadn't heard it in years. But anyway, and what happened was, my someone gave my dad the end of me and goes, "Your your son's got single of the week." That's how close I was with my parents, as far as they'd even know involvement of what you were doing. Well, was, and that's obviously. But I, I remember writing a song when I was 16 or 17. I remember the song. And it's not a bad sort of bluesy song. Mm. It's okay. It's not, not, it's, it's not horrendous. Mm. And my dad goes, it's not Strawberry Fields, is it? That was the response. And uh, listen, that's the, that's, you know, it's, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying, listen, I've had an incredibly privileged background. Mm. And, you know, God, you know, I mean, look at the things I get to do now and lots of stuff. So I can't, I'm not complaining in any way. It's just that's how it was. It was, it was, it was way more severe Mm. Than what other kids have dealt with, and so now, in you know, I don't, I don't mind what anyone says or criticism. You know, I, I don't, you know, at industry things, I tend to hang back. I don't, because I don't really, I don't, and anything anyone, I think anyone says, it's not like I don't really lack confidence, but that it's there's a, there's another side to it, which is yeah. weird. A huge part of a producer's uh, skill set and life revolves around their hearing. That's yeah. a fact. Yeah, yeah. That's what you need. Yeah. And there was a point in time when your father's hearing started to diminish. Yeah. And 
you cite that as a time when you started to get pulled into the studio more and more as his ears? Well, we were in this weird situation whereby he didn't want to tell anyone he was losing his hearing. He realised... you can understand that. uh, Yeah, and he realised he was losing his hearing. He tells a story that in the olden days... um, you, everything was on tape machines, mm. and tape machines had tones, tones reels, and they're different cycles. So you know, one, you know, one k, ten k. I can't remember. I can't. I can't remember what they are. They're, diff- they're different. So so basically, frequencies are notes, if you like. Uh, one kilohertz is a middle C, for instance. This is people. You know, this is this is this is the way. So when we're EQing stuff, it's frequencies. Now, my dad suddenly realised that he could see the meters moving on the tape on the tape machine. So there was a tone in the room, but he couldn't hear anything. And that's when he realised he was going deaf. And it was just the fact, and I'm actually quite careful with my hearing because you know, it's not genetic. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not, but he would sit with his head between the pair of speakers in Studio 2. There's photographs of him doing the Beatles, and he would sit with his head between the two speakers listening for eight or nine hours on end. Now, we're designed as human beings to hear a twig crack, crack in a forest yeah. so, we can, so we can go and hunt for food. That's what we're... <laughs> so we're not designed... I mean, earbuds and all How sort many of stuff. watts in those speakers yeah, in it, CO2? The, but, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, violinists, people don't know violinists go deaf in one ear. Because the violin's held on one yeah, side? Wow, yeah. I didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah, there's all... It's, and, and generally you get hearing loss in the frequencies you're listening to as well. Okay. So, so you're called in at 15, 16. I'm, I'm called in because... And that must have been a, amazing he, education. He wouldn't tell it. Yeah, it's amazing because you're suddenly having to listen. I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a guide dog for the blind mm. or, or a, a, a for the deaf, if you like. Mm. Where my, my role isn't creative in any way. It's just purely my pure job is to listen and to protect my father from making mistakes. Mm. Although your job was to listen and make sure no mistakes were being made, but you carry that into your own career then as... <laughs> talent as I th- yeah i think what happens is and i know i can do this and i know that i do this for sonar speakers i know i can hear in frequency so i can go i can walk into a room and go um and sam okell is a brilliant engineer i work with i mean you know, he's an award-winning engineer he'll say you know he, he you know i'm good at eq he'll go you, you, you do this you're good at eq and i can go okay we need to get rid of 400 hertz there or do this and i can i can hear in in frequencies like a lot of a lot of people can do it but i can solo instruments without soloing them on a desk i can hear your voice and how it relates to everything else and i think i can do that because as a teenager i had to do it and not i can't hear better than anyone else or not, but, like, but i i had this weird training whereby i wasn't allowed to think about anything else apart from and my frequency my as my dad lost his hearing because basically what happens it's like you know turning down a dial his high end so started going further and further down to the extent where you couldn't hear a middle c you could play a piano and the piano would disappear from no that's what happens and 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 so I would learn more and more frequencies because I had to listen to more and more things. You know, start off with cymbals and violins and, yeah, and start yeah. moving down to vocals, and that's and it's not as and my father had obviously had great sensibilities. You know, he he made the records he was responsible for are some of the finest finest mm. crafted records ever. And I'm not saying I'm like my father, but there is a there is a definitely a, there is an in, inbuilt talent that's probably there that I have where I can. Or I notice stuff. Mm. You know, Sam says I can hear mixes. There can be a new mix, and I can hear a mix like I've heard it for the first time. Um, oh man, I wish I could do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, and so I can I can go and 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 I switch in and out. It's like being schizophrenic. I can I can be talking to you, having a laugh, and like you know, I like having a laugh, as you know. It's not, yeah. I'm not, but I can switch off and become Rain Man, probably about twenty minutes at a time, and just go this, this, and this, and then... And you're and back then, in the room. They're back in the room, yeah. Wow. But it's nice things. But it's the same thing for you as writing a song. You know how time flies when you're... Absolutely. It's the same it's thing. It's the thing that I appreciate about your studio space. It's worth pointing out that we are here in your studio in Abbey Road. Yeah. And you've got windows, which, yeah. man, I can't tell you, because otherwise you get to the studio at 9, 10 in the morning, there's no natural light. Yeah. You come out at 6 o'clock at this time of year, yeah. it's pitch black, and you go, Jesus, where's that day gone? It's yeah. not healthy. So no. yeah, I do appreciate but that. The, but here's the thing: is my my dad built the studios in the West Indies um, in Montserrat, uh, and it, it, it was built in 1977. Trend was now this is a studio overlooking a valley that looks down to the sea where the sun sets in the middle of the valley, and there's a green oh. flash as the sun hits the sea, and the studio room 
has no windows in it at all. <laughs> Not a single. It's basically a cave. I don't think you were going to say that. I thought yeah. you were going to say it's just all made of glass. No, because no, in the 70s, like the whole thing was no one needs to. It's like a casino. No oh, one should know man. what time it is. Pumping it, in oxygen. Isn't that, isn't that the most bizarre thing? That is so you'd, it's so, so So people would want this. I mean, you're, you're so modern. But in the, in the days, it's like... The day, days and nights we want of distraction. And because, and this is what's changed in my time is that, you know, people you, and actually the hip hop guys do a lot, but a lot of artists don't. Like yourself, you have a normal day, working mm. day. I mean, uh, bands wouldn't start work till four in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, but I think I don't know if that's just. I think part of that's my character though as well, because I, I kind of get guilty. So I try and set alarms like I've got a normal job yeah. to try and feel like I'm part of something. And then, but but also what I find it does is if you're up earlier, you do get stuff done. But do you find that you have, do you find that you have creative moments? Absolutely, and they can last. But but do you find that they happen at certain times of the day? No, because I probably between oh, in fact, saying that between six and seven, probably yeah, I'm in the evening. I'm yeah, I'm probably peaking. So I'm interrupting your creative. Oh yeah, this is completely ruining. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to do something amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I think. Do you know what? On this record, actually, we did. We woke. We got to the studio for about nine, half nine each morning, and. That time between then and 12 was the most creative time of every day. Oh, that's interesting. Before lunch. And then there was the lull after lunch. So you yeah. go and eat, come back, and naturally everyone was a bit more fatigued and uh, less been, able. I've been doing this project with Elton John recently, and he's quite a fascinating character because when I was a runner in studios, it was in you know early 90s, he would come in, and he still does this, he would go into his studios... And he gets a lyric sheet, so certainly by Bernie Taupin, is the, is the lyric writer mm. of the songs. He wouldn't have seen it before. He'd go to piano, he'd write a song, and then the, ba- then the band would sit and sit in the control room, and then they'd go and record it. And that's the way they work, every day. And in the, in, the world of, in the world of Beatles, they would get three tracks done down before lunch. <laughs> they would. Well, their, I mean, their, their first album was recorded in a day. And this, would, like, this is the other thing I'd like to, you know, my next project's a recording project. I'd like to work with a, like get a, get a good band together and mm. then have that ability to, if, we don't, if you don't like something, to go and re-record it. What we do now, we, we tend up, it's a bit like having a, 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 a you know, a, a, a dinghy that's got a hole in it. We end up repairing it the whole time. Yeah. And then you end up with something that's a repaired thing where quite often it takes less time to go... Let's start again. Let's, let's just, especially if you've got people who can play, because yeah. you get that. And actually, editing, old style, is the other thing that's quite good fun. We have a band. I mean, like, I've had the privilege because, because people give me everything. You know, people want me to remix stuff and remix stuff in, in you know. So I've remixed Michael Jackson. I've got the, you know, they gave me all this catalogue. I've been given, you know, obviously Beatles stuff. I've been given Who stuff. I've been given so many different bands. Obviously, in excess recently, I remixed mm-hmm. Kick. And you hear the creative process, but the one that really stood out for me of all the creative process is I remixed, or I got given the stems, the, the buzz track of "I Want to Be Like You" from the Jungle Book. Hey, you know, you, that's know, so true. you know, Louis Prima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Louis Prima. Absolutely. And that track, you should go and li- anyone should go and listen to it. Is three songs stuck together. Generally, the song, is, the, the 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 backing of that song is three different bands stuck together. No way. And you hear the double bass. The double bass disappears. Can hear it. Yeah, if you listen to it, and you get really fast, there's one take as much faster than the other. <laughs> it's just, but, but going back to what we're talking about, is that, I think, creates a form of tension when you listen to it, which makes you engage with it. Mm. If you know you know that, and you listen yeah. to it, you go, oh my, there's three, you can hear the change, you can hear the, you can, it's different instruments. Wow. I mean, I thought, well, that's, you know. I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. So it's, it's like, and you learn so much. From, and this is what where people say, you know, learn other people's songs. Mm. And in the same way for me, I mean, I think I could now be a really good producer, whether mm. I'll whether whether I'll 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 do it or not, or I'll end up just doing big films and mm. all this sort of stuff. But I now know all the techniques. There's that thing about you can, if if only I knew what I knew in my twenties. Oh, yeah. You you talk about you know if you go on to do productions and stuff. Do you have an eye? on having done everything you've done and know what you enjoy and what you yeah. don't so much do you know what it is you want to do moving forward no i get to do luckily i get to do lots of things that i what i like doing yeah. i mean it's really it's kind of like one of those things that you kind of you, 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 i'm so ambitious 
Mm. And I, I really am, uh, you know, and I so want to, I'm ambitious creatively. I like, I want to do things that, it, it's only interesting if no one's done it before. You know, that's the, mm. that's what I, that's what I really like. I like doing, you know, I've done some huge things and some small things. And I, I didn't, did an album with a singer-songwriter called Kim Ritchie, which we did for, I think the whole thing was four, that cost four thousand pounds after I did Love, and she's, she's now, she, I think she was fifty then, wow. um, and she's brilliant. It's a really nice album, and it's that, it's, it's, it's that. So you do small things, but I think you just move forward. So yeah, I would love to, you know, I'd love to work with you again. Mm -hmm. I think that would be brilliant. I would do it for nothing and nothing. We'd go somewhere and I've do got something that on brilliant. Now, just. Yeah, exactly. What <laughs> I, I would. My manager will never hear this. <laughs> no, but it's true. I, I, you know, and I'm not. I'm not saying I'm always because because I think we. I think I think actually because I think we would do something really that I would be really proud of. Mm. You know, that's that's always my motivation. Mm. It doesn't matter. I've never been a good hanger out in the music industry. I've never mm. been at that. But I think but you, you need to do something. I'm not that's, great at that either. Um, but but I think you. I think we'd have to be careful if if I worked with you. We'd have to be careful that we'd have to make sure that we were being popular as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a film next, which is kind of, which is kind of really good fun. Mm -hmm. um, I might be doing, I'd like to do some really cool, which I've, which I'm starting work on, a really cool, like three-dimensional, um, experiential exhibit type thing, wow. which you can walk through and, and do. I mean, the Love Show was interesting because I got to build a room, which you've been in, which has, um, you know, 7,000 speakers in it and you sit and it's custom design and, you know, it's like, you know, I can it play God, I can play God for a bit, you know, yeah. it's a, I, it, it's only going to play the music I created or they created, but I mixed in that room and that's it. It's like you know, no, no what one, a privilege. Yeah, no one else gets that. Yeah, yeah. that. So it's it's. I, I'd like to do, but the thing about that, it's not a question of arrogance. You don't you don't actually once you. I don't know about yourself, but once you've done these things, you don't feel like you've done them. No, uh, it's it's very hard to do at the moment. I think. I don't. Yeah, it really is. I mean, not that you don't appreciate. I've enjoyed it, the love show once, maybe when I was really drunk. Um, and had a, had like a couple of margaritas and went, and I was like, "Oh, this is great," <laughs> you know. And every other time, yeah. I mean, I was there. I was there two weeks ago, and I sat and was like, "It is worth just saying." Me and you say we met. Say we're calling it a month ago. I yeah. don't know exactly how long ago it was. I think between then we've seen each other twice since, and but you've also been to Australia and America. Australia once and America twice. Yeah, you're a busy man, and yeah. people only you're only busy if you love what you do, because you, otherwise, yeah. you, you don't. In that sense, because yeah. it's too much effort and emotion has to go into it f for you not to love it. I think, and I think that's a I, I, thing. I've, yeah. Well, I, I've only, I've only, I've been so spoilt because I've only really in the last, pretty much. I if I don't like doing something, I stop doing it. Yeah, you know, I walk away. I mean, I walked away from, I walked away from really big projects just mm. because I, I was uncomfortable with the people, and not in a sort of weird way. It's just I. You know, just they. You know, their their souls are in the wrong place. Yeah, or, and and you and you, you maybe you have to play the game a bit better. But I think it's not even a question of integrity. It's a question of you know you want to surround yourself with people you like, and that's what makes you makes you better and cr more creative mm. and all that sort of stuff. In this industry, and it's the only industry I know so far. Yeah, it's there's no rules you're existing in a world where nothing is laid out for you and that makes complete sense that you don't know exactly where you're going to end up yeah because there's so many i mean so it's worth pointing out your involvement with sonos as well yeah so i'm yeah i'm head of sound for sonos which means i um I'm a, they're a speaker company and they they they're actually we're a speaker company i should say um and uh and that's that's kind of and again oh, I that's, guess you won't have ever imagined you doing that. Oh no way! And the funny, I don't think they would have done either. To be honest, they're probably <laughs> regretting it. But it's been three and a half years now. But that's the thing is that, and in that world, and this goes back to everything else. It's like you know, if you learn off people, like I learn off you from mm. when we work together. You learn things. You learn. You learn the the you know the heartbeat of a musician. Mm. I mean, there's 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 like for instance, I've worked with drummers. I worked with Jim Keltner and Stuart Copeland. Now Jim Keltner's a drummer that always plays behind the beat, even though he's one of the best drummers ever. And Stuart Copeland's a drummer that always plays ahead of the beat. <laughs> you know, even though he's he's a great drummer. Yeah. You know, everyone has their own. You and you can't stop them from doing that. And you know, with Sonos and the guys I work there, I work with these guys who are doctors of acoustics. And are, have brain the size of planets. I mean, they are brilliant people, and I learn so much off them about you know about sound. And it's, and the other thing about 
and I, I've now got more and more people involved. There's a guy called Nigel Godrich, who's a famous producer, who's a good mm -hmm. mate of mine. A guy called Manny Marikin, who's a famous mix engineer. There's uh, Rick Rubin. Um, there's a guy called Chris Jenkins, who's won three Oscars for film mixing. All of these people are now involved, involved in Sonos. And the reason why is because we need to take more responsibility for how the music's heard. Yeah. So there's no point you and I sitting in the studios and spending, you know, hopefully not too long, making something sound great, and then it never sounds that good again. So yeah. that's why I get involved in things like that, because it's kind of cool. You go, wait a second, that's a I can be megalomaniac. I yeah. can go, I can go, it's going to sound like this. And because of technology, there's a speaker up there on the wall, and I know exactly how that's how my mix is going to sound like. That's in your a house. very good excuse to do anything, I think. Yeah. I think so, so it's it's fun. It's it's like the three. And I've now as 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 my career's gone on, I've now myself found myself being involved in with record labels wanting to remix projects that I then are remixing and I'm deciding how they sound like going into something and I'm also deciding how they sound like coming out yeah. and it's kind of like oh my god this is, <laughs> this, is, this is I'm having a perfect Charles Martin spectrum <laughs> I'm all powerful and it's the same as the love theatre like yeah. it's that thing it's like I know you know I'm in control of that yeah. not that I'm some megalomaniac it's just fun yeah. it's just like if someone's to be stupid enough to let me do it then I'll do it yeah. amazing I think that's a good motto look I've kept you for well over an hour mate oh my god um do you want to end on a rock and roll story? Have you got a good story to end on? Yeah, I do actually. I've got, I've got loads of rock and roll <laughs> yeah, stories. Go I've got loads, Let's go for a few. I know, I've got loads. Well, so I grew up in this world of. So my dad started building studios and lost mm. most of his money building studios. For anyone listening, don't go build a recording studios. Um, and he built one out in the West Indies on Montserrat, which is a volcanic island. And for a period of time, myself and my sister would be there. And there were stories that happened. I mean, Lou Reed was there, uh, and he was knocking on our door because he couldn't. He didn't have the didn't have the New York Times. One of the one of the, one of the band's girlfriends. Did I think, you live out there? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Amazing. So so and often the bands would stay in our house, and we'd have to go into a different house. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a time when I was about I was probably about eleven, and my sister was thirteen, and we played backgammon all the time. We, the two of us were stuck together. The fun thing being rock kids. Is it's quite a lonely life because you're not with your mates because we're often abroad or something like that. So we decided to go and I opened the black and it was a fairly standard sized backgammon, like a large atlas. And I opened it up and half of the backgammon set was full of cocaine. <laughs> and my mum came in and I was sticking my finger in it, licking it because I'd seen it on a police. Wait, how old are you? Eleven. <laughs> I'd seen it on a police drama. Oh um, my word! And I was going to my sister. That's drugs. And my mum goes, oh, my God. <laughs> and I watched my dad. And it was probably, oh God knows, it was, it was a large, a large bag of cocaine. I, but, you know, it was, it was about a pint of cocaine, if you like. <laughs> and I watched my dad pour it out, um, of the, you know, onto the porch. No, no, not a big line, but pour it out. <laughs> he these, didn't go like, yeah, oh. Yeah, all these hummingbirds and iguanas were like, mm. you know, wandering around smoking cigarettes yeah. and they were actually actors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had, we had this life where we'd see things. I mean, you know, I remember, it's funny, it's funny, and this is why I've never been phased by artists, I suppose, because to me, they're always a pain in the ass. Mm. I mean, I remember going fishing with this, this there's a restfaring guy, as a kid I used to hang out with, and we used to go, we used to go windsurfing together, he ran some, he ran a windsurfing thing on the beach, and um, we went fishing, the two of us, in his little boat, and I caught a Spanish mackerel, which is a 12 pound fish, um, and I brought it back, and, and, my, and at that, that time Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall were visiting the studios, and they gave it to them as, as for, 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 their, for their supper, because it was difficult to get food on the island, so it's my Fish. <laughs> you get, I don't care for it. I don't care. It's my fish. Yeah. Mick who? So, so my life is my 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 teenage life yeah. was littered by these people that came in and out of my life that I really couldn't give yeah. a toss about. That would just became like a bit of a pain more than anything else. It was funny. <laughs> it's like you know, it didn't become in and like you know. I remember spending time with Earth, Wind, and Fire and like bizarre people who were really, really nice. I yeah. remember being really warm and you grew up with these people and who weren't very nice. But I think, listen, I you know, I to talk to you is a pleasure. Yes, like I say. thank you, Charles. And, uh, I appreciate that a lot. And uh, any time you need anything, yeah. you know, I'll be here. Amazing.
ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Another episode wrapped up. What an amazing chat and what an insightful person, you know. I, I can't imagine I'm going to sit down with many other people that have had experiences quite like Mr. Giles Martin. Um, last time I bumped into Giles was at the Brit Awards and uh, me and him found a quiet corner to kind of watch it all unfold. Both of us not very good at the uh, socialising aspect of our job. <laughs> uh, but that, that was lovely to see him, if not a little brief. So Giles, let's get together sometime soon if you're listening. Um, as always, a huge thank you to Warren Borg for editing these ramblings together. Um, a huge thank you to Oshin Griffin, who is uh, responsible for all of the amazing podcast visuals that you see on social media. And um, a huge thank you to Josh Sanger uh, and the Closer Artist Gang. Thank you, Josh, for making all of this possible. You're the man. And guys, hey. Of course, a huge thank you to all of you for tuning in and uh, pressing play and meeting me here. It means a lot to me. Yeah, the record's this Friday. I should stop reminding myself of that because I think I'm going to have a little pass out if I keep remembering it. Um, Yeah, guys, have a lovely week. Hopefully, see you all soon. Bye. Turn your distractions off and discover your new favorite podcast. This is Bose Recommends. Hi, guys. I'm Nat Coombs from the NFL show with Nat Coombs. Yep, that was a title that took us hours to come up with. We're thrilled to be involved with Bose Recommends because, frankly, we are having a great time making this show. We drop episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, and the clue is very much in the title. We're all about the NFL. I'm joined each episode by terrific guests from both sides of the pond, players past and present, journalists, comedians, writers, you name it. If they love NFL, they're in. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Acast, iTunes, all your favorite podcatchers. It'll be good to have you with us. Enjoy your new favorite podcast without distractions. Discover how at bose.co.uk. Bose. Focus. On.